0: that was phenomenal. Thank you, kids, for singing for us and parents for uh, working hard to uh, get those uh, videos to us. And uh, Britt, thank you. Your infectious spirit, your compassion and passion for the kids is always overflowing. Um, And to all of you involved with KC, um, listen to me. Look, Look at me. Look at me. I wanna tell you, we love you and appreciate you. Uh, And thank you, thank you for joining us uh, uh, here today uh, at our our Easter celebration, our COVID-19 socially distant, one hour online Easter celebration. We're glad you're here uh, from wherever you are. Uh, Well, if if you could just spare me a minute, um, I would like to throw my support on the side of caution. The narratives are changing with regard to the pandemic, but I assure you the threat is still very real. Um, I know that the economic repercussions are, are, are crippling for some, like 10 million people applied for unemployment in the month of March alone. Uh, it's devastating. Um, but caution would suggest that we stick it out for a few, few more weeks, that we remain diligent in distancing and uh, uh, sanitizing practices for at least the next two to three weeks. Experts expect the rate of spread to approach its peak in the next few weeks. And that's important to remember. We're, We're all anticipating this peak because that means we're on our way down and out of this thing, but you gotta remember, at the peak is the greatest and most rapid rate of spread. So in those last moments before the peak, we got to be really diligent. So hang in there. Well, here we are. It's Easter. It's Easter, and for those of us who trust Jesus, this is big. It's big. It's the big, the biggest deal, really. Actually, today is the celebration of an historic, world-changing moment and personal, and ongoing impact of that moment—the raising of Jesus. Uh, not. Not back to life. This is an an important point. Uh, Jesus wasn't brought back to life. Uh, People that are brought back to life, which has happened, even Jesus brought people back from life. Lazarus, for example. When you get brought back to life, you die again. You you have the unfortunate uh, situation of dying twice. Jesus didn't come back to life to die again. He was raised to new life, which is totally different. Uh, We'll go into that. But Jesus was raised to new life. That's what we celebrate. And not only that, but his invitation for others to join him in this new life. Those who have trusted him, celebrate. Because that reality lifts a heavy burden from this life and assures us of the hope of the next. Uh, Maybe you're not there you're here today, but you're not there in that celebration. Maybe you're here out of uh, just annual tradition or an invite from a friend. Um, maybe Easter is just another good opportunity to be around something that's bright and hopeful. Maybe that's you. No problem. No problem. I'm glad you're here. Although some have taken a step of faith to trust God and depend upon Jesus, none of us have fully arrived. Everyone suffers from recurring doubt, unanswered problems, uh, unanswered questions, crisis of faith. Listen, any, any Christian who tells you otherwise is selling something. It's my job, and if I do my job, everyone, including me today, will have their needle of faith shifted a little more toward God. If I do my job, everyone will experience the presence of God a little, a little more deeply. If I do my job, everyone will enjoy another degree of hope. Am I aiming too high? Probably. <laughs> Probably. But every pastor in America is aiming pretty high today. Maybe every pastor around the globe. We th- this is where we're at. It seems like the Easter message of 2020 could be maybe the most critical message we ever give. We ever have the privilege of delivering. Because we know this is a rare opportunity. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the four biggest factors that draw people into spiritual conversations, um, that draw people back towards God or into church, are natural disasters, national crisis, Easter, and Christmas. We've got three out of four today. And it's even easier to engage church today because of the online scenarios you don't have to go to church you you like you did you can show up whenever you want you can turn this on on your own time in whatever clothes you want (laughs) if any (laughs) You, you can eat the crunchiest food in the house and you can have a beer if you like and then you can just click out unnoticed whenever you want if you want the point is if you're not usually in church but you're here today I'm thrilled, I'm honored, and I'm thankful. It's a big deal, it's a big deal for me. I was hoping you would be here, and I'm glad you tuned in. Every pastor, every preacher today particularly does not want to blow it, but here's the deal. Here's what I know, I know this. I don't, I don't really have any ability to manipulate a moment between you and God. I don't have that kind of power. I can deliver a powerful point, I do my homework, I can deliver, we can together orchestrate a powerful experience if we put the time into it, but I don't have any real power to generate a life-changing moment between you and God. The moment a person is drawn to God is ordained and orchestrated by God himself. He'll do it if he wants, when he wants, where he wants, and how he wants an old testament prophet named zechariah that put it this way he said not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord almighty he was talking to a guy who was trying to pull something off in his own power and god says to us look it's not your effort that does anything it's not your might it's not your power that manipulates me or causes me to do things. I do things because I do things, is what God says. He doesn't need my help. None. He, just as effortlessly as he created all things out of nothing back in the beginning, today still he can create new eyes, fresh moments, and experiences with him just as effortlessly as he created the whole world. Um, and, And that's really where I put my trust is in him creating a moment for you today. And and I'm just a part. I'm trying to create a space and and, and get out of the way so God can work however he wants to work. And maybe you're already here. Maybe this is where you are already. But this would be my request do the same. Give, Give God a chance. Give him a chance. I can give you three ways that you could facilitate that or help facilitate that one. Number one, stay the whole time. I think we're gonna knock this out in about an hour, and it, and and I'm sure there's gonna be distractions, and your mind might go somewhere, and I might I might say something unintentionally and trigger something that's just not good. If you could do everything you can just to stay through the whole time, I would be grateful. It'd be an honor, and I'd like to believe that it, that 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 effort might turn into something. Secondly, um, suspend your doubt. Um, no one can escape their doubts completely. We always have them, but. Um, I don't know if you've ever just decided to live by faith rather than doubt, but I I would ask you to do that. Maybe just even a little bit. God says he doesn't need much. He says the faith of a mustard seed can be leveraged by him in in mountainous type ways. So uh, just push your doubts and your cynicisms out a little bit and just put yourself in a space of faith. A space of belief. Just to see. And then third... uh, I would ask you to pray with me. I'm about to pray and maybe you'll pray along with me that that God might show up. God, we do ask you to be in this moment. God, we celebrate. We're so grateful, so thankful for what you did 2,000 years ago. We need you even today. And if you could give us a glimpse, if you could encourage us in some way, if you could provide a new thought, a, a new experience, a new hope, we will attribute it to you by faith. We'll look for it and then we'll give you credit in the end. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, here's what I'd like to do with the next 20 minutes. I'd like to communicate some very core stuff about God, because there are some very warped perceptions out there, and not just by those who aren't in church, but by those who are in church, and not just by people who aren't Christians, by Christians themselves. The the perceptions of what church is, who Jesus is, what God is, what the Bible is about, what is eternity, it's it's all over the map at times, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess. And it's understandable, there's a, there's a lot of ways and reasons that things get um, misconstrued, you know? It, we do it to ourselves, sometimes just the amount of time that go by, we have some good intentions and we, we don't quite get things exactly right. Communication is so hard, right? It, it's so hard to get points across and we just get things confused. On top of that, it's not all that uncommon. I wish it was more uncommon, but it's not uncommon. That churches are hurtful rather than helpful. Sometimes we, we, we tend to lock people down rather than free them up. Uh, Christians can be holier than thou rather than humble, and, and we're too often hypocritical rather than authentic. And I'm sorry about that. I'm sure on some level I'm culpable. And I, and I just want to try to clear things up. I can't clear everything up. There's not enough time. I, and I don't understand everything. I, I, I couldn't possibly individually clear everything up. But, I, but if I'm going to ask you to come back, and I am, if I'm going to ask you to engage and in, in, in join in the discussion of faith that we're having as a church, uh, um, which, I, which I am, if I'm going to ask you to take steps or to get involved in some way, uh, which I am, I should at least explain to you what it is I'm asking you to be a part of, right? I should try to clear up as many misconceptions as I can. So let me give you the big picture, the big, big, big picture, Le Le Foto Grande, all right? It all started thousands and thousands of years ago when God created everything, including a very, very nice couple, Adam and Eve, in a a massive Mediterranean-type beautiful setting garden. Tons of time went by and then another very critical moment happened uh, with a polytheistic nomad named Abram, eventually Abraham, a patriarch, uh, the father of our faith, right? So you got got Adam and then you got Abraham and then God goes on to form out of Abraham um, a theocratic nation, a a nation ruled by God. Uh, These would be what we know as the Israelites, the ancient people of God. And then after a long, long time of erratic faith that you can read about throughout the Old Testament, something monumental happens. God shows up himself in the middle of his creation with skin on. Jesus, God in the flesh. You got Adam, you got Abraham, and then then you got Israelites, and then you got Jesus, God himself showing up. Thirty-three years later, after, after Christmas Day, Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He's dead. And then he's raised to new life, launches the church, spends some time after death, you know, a little while, launches the church, and then heads direct into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father as King of all things, and he sends the Holy Spirit back to inhabit those who have trusted him and shifts this whole physical uh, God, space, and people into a worldwide spiritual nation. The new spirit-filled people of God, which we call the church. Adam, Abraham, Israelites, Jesus ascends, Sends the Spirit into the believers, the followers of Jesus, and creates this spiritual kingdom of God called the church, which continues to expand under Jesus' headship even today. Yes, today, the church, the family, the body, the army of God, the spiritual people will grow. It will be added, number will be added to uh, that kingdom. And then finally, we anticipate this deteriorating creation being put back together the way it should be. The, the, the ancient Jews and even the current Jews, they call that shalom. It is everything recreated back to the way it should be. You could call that heaven. Okay, so this is the big arc of the Bible. Creation, Abraham, Israel, Jesus, church, expanding church, recreation, or heaven. That's the big picture. That's the very basic stretch of the entire Bible, right there. How do we know all this? Jesus, mostly, confirmed it all, but we also have a whole bunch of written records from eyewitness accounts, people who knew Jesus personally or were followers of his in in the earliest days, some of Jesus' closest confidants, companions, nearly all of whom gave their lives in defense of what they had observed, experienced, and written. Paul, for example, is one of those incredible first believers And check this out. Look how he, with with no internet and no way of fully comprehending what was happening in the whole world and really all of history, ties this whole thing together like this. Understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Okay, that's interesting because those who have faith and those who Paul are talking to is is thousands of years since Abraham and now post-Jesus. And he's saying, clear back to Abraham those who have faith are children of Abraham. Not physical descendants anymore. Those who have faith. Spiritual followers of God are now sort of directly a tie to Abraham. And he calls them his children. Goes on to say that God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Here's what Paul's saying is this gospel, this understanding from Jesus that we get that eternal life is is that faith is the key to eternal life. Not not religious rigor, but faith itself is the key to eternal life. Paul is saying that's what was being introduced by God to Abraham those thousands of years ago. Well, that's crazy to think about because really what had happened between Abraham and Jesus didn't look a lot like a dependence on faith. It looked like a dependence on religion and rules, and morality, but Paul's looking at it now going, wait, this God has always been about faith alone, and he says, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, that's a pretty significant paraphrase by me from the NIV, just to make it simple for you to um, grasp, but here we have it, this narrative, this biblical arc, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Israel, Jesus, Christians, everybody else, and heaven—that's the big picture. Now, I would like to—I would like to um, tease out for you this thread that goes through this entire history. This, 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 through this arc is is stuff of God that has stayed the same for all of this time, up until today, four thousand years. We see over four thousand, we see these same four things from God in this whole story arc. You ready? An invitation to trust God, a promise of the presence and the purposes of God, and the relentless mercy of God. Let me repeat that. We see these four things from the beginning in time till now, and we anticipate it forever, the same four things from God. An invitation to trust Him, a promise for His presence and His purposes in our life, and the relentless mercy of God. Let me put it this way. God says, all through time, trust me and I will be with you and I will use you for my good purposes and I will forgive you a million times. Trust, presence, purpose, mercy. Let me show you. Look at Adam and Eve. What do you see? Right, what do you see? In Adam and Eve, you see this perfect space, two people close to God in presence. You read through it and they were close. God was right there with them. It was intimate. It was wonderful, right? Right. They had the presence and the purpose of God. God said, we have a couple rules, not many. You have free reign. This is is made for you. I'm with you. Don't worry, but don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree. In my own little, cute little imagination, I imagine Adam and Eve going, well, why? Why can't we eat from that tree? And then I think of God being a very good parent says, well, because I said so, right? I need you. To trust me. Trust is always a part of the the nature of the relationship. God, you know this to be true. Trust is at the core of every true relationship. And God says to Adam and Eve, trust me. And if you trust me, we get to keep this presence, my presence. You get to keep my purposes. And what did they do? They didn't trust him. They ate from the tree. And God could have disciplined them in a very, very harsh way, but he didn't. He was merciful. He pushed them out onto their own. And now they're now they're living in life and they're battling with their own faith and their own trust and their own disobedience, and their own obedience, just like just like all of us. But God was merciful, could have, could have just wiped them out, but didn't. We see mistrust, loss of presence, loss of person purpose in life, and then, as always, the mercy of God. Okay, move to Abraham. Abraham, a guy, a, a polytheistic nomad, a guy that's worshiping many gods, doesn't have land, he's just moving around, right? For, for most, they would say that God didn't love him because he didn't have family and he didn't have land. That's how you knew if God favored you, land and family. He didn't have either, and God speaks to him. and says, again, essentially, Abraham, trust me. If you trust me, you're going to experience my presence, my blessing. I'm going to give you purpose in this life if you trust me, which is huge ask for Adam, for for Abraham. God was a pretty obscure thing at this point. Very little knowledge about who God is. And this God is saying, trust me. And what do we see with, with Abraham? Just what you would expect. Actually, a lot of fear early on. You read about Adam, uh, they keep saying Adam, Abraham's life, and you see a guy going from fear to faith. And in that process, a lot of mistrust and trust and mistrust and trust. Because this is what's really happening. As we're trying to trust God, as Abraham is trying to trust God, you're really letting go of a lot of fears. Your fears, if you don't already know this, drive you to what you trust. Your fears drive you to what you trust. You trust things for really one purpose, to alleviate fears that you have. If you're afraid you're going to have nothing, you're going to trust your job, your work, your bank account to alleviate that fear. If you're afraid of being alone, you're going to trust another person to be with you through it all so that you're never alone. Our fears drive our trusts. So really, to trust God is to move away from fear and, in a sense, only fear Him. Uh, Only fear Him. He is the one that you need to trust. You don't have to. He says, don't be afraid. Trust me. But we see Adam, Abraham, cyclically going through this trust-mistrust cycle. All through it, God is merciful. He does some crazy, really stupid things. And he eventually comes back around to God and God forgives him and shows him mercy. We see this pattern of trust and the presence of God and the purpose of God, and then mistrust and then the absence of God and the loss of purpose. And then we see this relentless mercy of God all through the Bible. Abraham eventually uh, trusts God. And this was the thing. He was old. Sarah was old. Abraham was like, how, can I possi- how could you possibly do what you're promising? How could you tell me I'm going to have enough family to outnumber the stars and the sand? I'm too old. I can't have kids. Neither can my wife. And God says, trust me. Trust me. Abraham does trust him enough that God blesses. And he does have generations and generations. It turns into the entire Israelite nation. But God's expectation of the nation is the same. He says to the Israelite people, the people of God, trust me. You trust me, and I will secure your land, I will give you a nation. But they were sick. They would trust and distrust. I mean, you know, it's, it's an old pattern. But we see the same pattern. But when they trusted him, they succeeded. When they didn't trust him, he, they didn't succeed, right? He, they, even they said, we want a new king. He said, I'm your king. He said, "Yeah, well, yeah, no, we, we don't really trust you as our king. We want a king like the other nations have, a real king. Okay, this is, this is the pattern all through history. The people of God, people in general, don't really trust God, don't trust God, mistrust God. And we miss out on his presence and his purposes. But he is relentlessly merciful. Okay, look what happens next. Adam, Abraham, Israelites. And then, and then who? Jesus. Jesus shows up. God sends himself with the same intention. Listen, this is how it goes, in my again, in my imagination. This God. Talking to his only son, Jesus. Hey, I need you to go down there <laughs> and you're going to end, listen to this. God said, You're going to end this broken, cyclical, up and down relationship of my people with me. Jesus, that's the plan. I need you to go down. This is crazy. I need you to go down there and break this cycle of up and down, trust, mistrust, and relentless and mercy. Jesus, good son right okay how all right god you're going to live a perfect life and then your own people are going to turn on you and brutally kill you that's that's the that's the plan i can't imagine what jesus that's horrible god again i know i know but it's the only way the curse of sin, God would say, came into the world through the distrust of one man, Adam, and I'm going to reverse that curse, offer forgiveness for all of that through one man, you, Jesus. And then I'm going to finish the whole thing off by raising you to new life with me to be king over everything. This is the plan, Jesus. To which Jesus, If I'm Jesus, I would say, Great, can we skip the brutal death part? Nope, nope. God says, nope, listen. Jesus, this is what I need you to do. Trust me. Same message, same message. Same message to Adam, same message to Abraham, same message to the Israelites, same message to Jesus. Trust me, I will be with you. My purposes will be fulfilled, right? Trust me. And he did. He did. This is the Easter celebration. Jesus, the only man to have ever completely trusted God, completely, utterly, fully, to be used by God, to his fullest extent, exactly how he was supposed to be used, and to be fully restored to God. The only man ever to have, <laughs> or ever, to fully trust God. Everything that God has hoped for from Adam to Abraham to the Israelites was done by Jesus. Listen to how Paul captures this to that same church in Galatia. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung a pole." He, God, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to all through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise. This is what we celebrate. From Jesus forward, listen to this, the presence and mercy of God is no longer tied to the trust Obedience and sacrificial practices of people, but of Jesus, his trust, his obedience, and his sacrifice. Let me say it this way In Jesus, we enjoy God's mercy. In Jesus, we enjoy God's presence. In Jesus, we enjoy God's purposes always and forever without fail, rather than the hope that we have for the impossibilities of our own performance generating that presence and that purpose. Jesus is where the cyclical failures of faith and the mercies of God end. This cyclical life of failing faith, but the mercy of God ends. This is where all that should separate us from God doesn't. Our disobedient lives, our corrupt desires, our ongoing fears, our fickle faith are no longer the issue. The issue is simply whether we trust the one who wholly trusted God. This is how Jesus put it in John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus don't be afraid. Don't fear. You believe in God, believe in me, right? Don't be afraid. Trust me. He goes on, my father's house has many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. To which Thomas says, uh, we don't know. We, we, don't, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way. How can we know, where you're, we know where you're going? How can we know the way? And Jesus says, listen, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I am the presence of God. I am the purposes of God. I am the eternal threshold to God. He goes on. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way is no longer on you and me. It's on Jesus. He is the way. Here's the account of Easter, circa 33 AD. This is covered in Gospels, I'm picking the one in Mark chapter 6. Again, paraphrasing for simplicity's sake. Jesus rose early on Sunday. Okay, like, not rose from bed, rose from the grave. Jesus rose early on Sunday. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She went and told some of the disciples who were grieving and they didn't believe her. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two others. They returned and reported to the rest, but they didn't believe him either. What's going on here? Why aren't they believing? Why is the account of Jesus' resurrection not full of people believing? This is really good. It's really helpful, actually. This is really the proof that he was dead. They didn't believe that they saw Jesus. Why? Because he was dead. They weren't hiding him. This wasn't some big trick. This wasn't magic. They weren't pulling a fast one. They didn't didn't snatch his body. They didn't believe him because he was dead. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. And guess what? Sure enough, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. He said, here's what I need you to do. Go into all the world and tell every last soul of my rising. Whoever believes and says so will live with God forever. If not, they'll die forever. I'm paraphrasing again. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And that is where they wait for you and me. At the end of the day, literally at the end of the day, (laughs) and at the end of your life, the Almighty God will ask you this question he's asking you now and he'll ask you then did you live a fearless God trusting perfectly obedient life and there's only two answers to that the first one is no that's honest the second one is, no, but Jesus did, and I trust him. This is the basics of Christianity. It deserves a lot more than what I've been able to give it this morning. Early on, I asked you to do three things. I asked you to stay, and I'm very thankful that you did. I ask you to pray and attribute what happened to God, So, if you've felt some glimmer of hope, if you've been encouraged in some way, if you've been reminded of something important, if you are stirred in your own heart, if you're encouraged, I would ask you to give God the credit. That's what we prayed. And third, I ask you to suspend your doubts. I ask you to exercise a little faith. And now I'd like to ask you to consider shifting your faith. If you have a sense within you that there might be a God, If there's anything within you that imagines there might be something more to life, if you wonder what it might be like to be at peace in the midst of chaotic world, if some part of you believes that you're meant for something of great value in this lifetime, could I ask you to shift your faith from all that cannot deliver any of that, whether people or stuff or work or money or power or success or nobility or kindness or your best effort, Can I ask you instead to put your faith in someone who can deliver on that promise and whose life would suggest at least giving him a shot? Can I ask you to try trusting Jesus and even consider joining with us as we continue to find ways to trust him? Maybe you don't know the answer to that, and that's that's totally cool, but could I ask you then to just stay still Listen to a few of these announcements, and and if if you're by yourself, maybe just maybe reaffirm you've got a nice quiet place. If you're with family, you know, gather together, quiet your hearts, and and after Justin, let Pastor Tammy lead you and us into the presence of God, where you can work it out with him a little bit more, rather than me. For those of you who do trust him, this is your time to bow again before our King, grateful and humbled, and to celebrate the presence and purpose and mercy of God that we find in the risen one, Jesus.